You're listening to All Things Crime, brought to you by Abject Entertainment. Be sure to check out some of the other great true crime podcasts from this network, including The Murder in My Family, Missing Persons, Scene of the Crime, Three Men and a Mystery, DNA ID, Malice, Riddle Me That, and Zodiac Speaking. All of these podcasts are available for you to binge on right now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe where you're listening to this podcast so you don't miss an episode. Warning, All Things Crime is a true crime production that may contain violent or disturbing material. Viewer or listener discretion is advised. And then the reality is there's somebody out there that is mean enough that they would behead and dismember somebody and throw them away in trash bags like they're nothing. And I think we should do something about that. (laughs) You know, pretty simple for me. That right there is, if you really think about it, somebody that's capable of doing that. Oh yeah. Is walking out on the streets. And that's another thing that I don't think society really takes into into consideration as much as they should because having murderers walking around and whether it's committed just out of rage and spur of the moment, it doesn't matter. It's still, if you're capable of doing that, I don't want you as a neighbor. (laughs) That's right. But it should put it in perspective for folks because who's working on your car, right? Who's running the scoreboard at your kid's game? Who is, you know, living next door to you, like you said? Who's at the movie theater next to you? I mean, it's crazy to think about how many cases go unsolved, how many people kill only once out of anger or jealousy or whatever reason they did it. There's a ton of people that only murder one time, but here they are somewhere. They're eating somewhere. They're going to the doctor somewhere. They're getting their haircut somewhere. Same as you and I, and you just don't ever know. Cheryl. Welcome back to All Things Crime. Morning, morning. This is going to be fabulous. Oh, I'm so excited to have you back on. Tell you what, there's a couple of reasons that I'm super excited. First first of all, it's Saturday and I have the amazing opportunity to work on a Saturday morning. (laughs) With, uh, yeah, how insane are we that on, uh, we have to get together. We're so busy and so occupied with other things that the only time in during the week that we have to get together is a Saturday morning. But but I tell you, I would not rather spend it with anybody. So this is perfect. Oh, you know, anybody that doesn't love Cheryl Mack is out of their minds. So wanted to have you on. First of all, you are the first recycle guest on All Things Crime. So that means uh, you are so special that we have had you on twice now. And so the reason, obviously, is because you have so much amazing stuff going that it is certainly worth having you on again. Well, I am honored. I tell you, you know, I'm a huge fan of you and, of course, the MVAT. I talk about it all the time. I mean, every podcast I'm on, it comes up. Even last night, some folks were talking about the John Bonet special which I did not see. Hmm. Um, but I told him, I said, you know, doing different shows and specials on JonBenet is great and it's important, but if they really want to do something, 
they should take that, you know, Garrett and put the MVAT to it. That's how I feel. I think between you and Francine Bardole, if they really want to solve it, they should test every single thing associated with that child. That is an interesting case. And I've had numerous people approach us mm -hmm. and I'm like, we're here. <laughs> it's, it's amazing to me. It hasn't been done. I mean, to me, it's, it's almost a dereliction of duty that you haven't done that because whoever put that around her throat left their touch DNA period. So yeah. find out who it was. It's just that simple. I'm not, uh, not really plugged in with, with the agencies that's, that's over that. And so I, I know there's a lot of factors going on that, how do you say it, are external from the actual case. So uh, we'll, we will leave it at that. How about? Fair enough. <laughs> but there's, there's uh, so many other cases uh, that I agree with you that have specific evidence and mm -hmm. the, the evidence may have, been, may have been tested in other ways, but if it doesn't have uh, a good profile from it, then why not? You know, what, what do you have to lose to take it to the next step, which Absolutely. would obviously be the MVAC. So. Absolutely. Well, hey, I didn't bring you on to just talk about the MVAC. There's mm -hmm. so many amazing things. And, you know, one of the first things that I want to do this morning is to get you to kind of talk a little bit about your background and how you got into becoming the premier CSI <laughs> in the entire Atlanta, if not all of Georgia. How did you do that? Oh, gosh. Well, first of all, let me set the record straight. Uh, I'm probably not the best crime scene investigator in this room I'm sitting in right now. <laughs> um, but I will tell you, I have been extraordinarily lucky. And I try to tell, you know, rookies this all the time that working hard and being good at something and, you know, keeping your education up and staying current on things that are happening are critical, but you cannot discount being in the right place at the right time. And I tell people all the time, I could have been assigned any prosecutor. I mean, there were 72 to choose from and I was assigned Nancy Grace. I mean, that is luck and I'll take it all day. And then I was assigned to Jim Birch with a GBI, who is such an extraordinary person and fabulous, you know, law enforcement person. So, you know, my career was kind of laid out that I, I do try to get up and show up even on a Saturday morning. I try to be available to people. I try to, you know, volunteer as much as I can, because I think volunteering is important because you get to do things when you volunteer that you would never get to do in your real job. So. That's another little piece of advice I'll get your rookies out there. But, you know, for me, you know, the Olympics came to Atlanta, lucky. And I was sent by the Crime Commission to the Chiefs meeting. And I just said, hey, you know, we need a crisis response team just in case something big happens. And they were like, okay, you're in charge of that because <laughs> I brought it up. And so, okay, I'm in charge of it. And nobody would have ever known a thing, Jared, except we did, in fact, have a bomb. And then a lot of spotlight was put on me only because I was in charge of it. And that was almost a fluke. Then because of what we did with the Atlanta bombing, I was able to go to Utah and be a part of y'all's Olympics, which was, I mean, I can't even put into words what Utah, I'd never been before. And I'd never, of course, been to the Winter Olympics, but it was the most it just everywhere I looked looked like a movie set to me. 
never seen snow like that. I'd never seen mountains like that. Um, so, I mean, again, I just felt really lucky to be a part of any of it. Predators, their acts are evil. We call them monsters. We say no human could perpetrate the crimes they have committed. But in truth, only human beings execute these horrific acts. And if you're like me, you want to know why. To find out, join me, Ariel Cooksey, on my podcast, Malice. As a social psychologist, I dig into the psychology, sociology, neurobiology, child development, trauma, and other factors that come together to create malicious offenders. Find Malice wherever you listen to podcasts. And, you know, it just kind of goes on from there, and then 9-11 happened. So what we had done with the Olympics twice, they sent us to the Pentagon, and I felt very fortunate to be there to help whoever we could. So again, a lot of things happened in my career where I was not paid for any of it. It was volunteer work, but helped elevate, I guess, lack of a better word. And then, you know, I started doing cold cases uh, about 22 years ago, I guess. And Dee Stewart, the sheriff of Spalding County said, hey, come down here and run this thing for me. So I did. And that's how the Institute came about because I was working for him during the day, but teaching college at night. And I, it was difficult <clears throat> for me to keep the students engaged from six o'clock at night to 10 o'clock at night after they had worked all day. So I thought, you know, if they could put all of what they're learning into one thing, it would be a cold case because it's applicable to anything they would be learning. And so I asked, you know, Sheriff Stewart, if I could take a cold case to the class, he said, absolutely, just redact everything. And Jared, that very first night that I brought that murder box in that room, everything changed. Everything changed the way that I taught, the way that I solve cold cases, the way that I understand they should be worked. And what I mean by that specifically is you do not have to be trained. You don't have to wear a badge to have some really good insight to what should be done on some of these cold cases. And so for the students, what they got was real world experience and then access to my friends um, who were experts in different areas when we worked these cases. So again, I'll take it. Luck. Oh, that's not luck. <laughs> no, no, I'm not letting you get away with that one, Cheryl. That well, is I mean, not think luck. About it, that, no, I am I thinking had... about it. Hold on, hold on. Okay. <laughs> now <clears throat> we are going to set the record straight here. Okay. And um, you, first of all, you say you're not the best investigator in the room. That is crap. I'll tell you what. <laughs> I have heard from enough other professionals around the country that they know Cheryl Mack and they, they know you not just because you are on with Nancy Grace and stuff all the time. They know you because you're good. And, part of, but again, part of the reason that you are so good is like what you said, because you volunteer. Mm -hmm. A lot of experiences that we get are from things that we do that are outside of work, outside of our actual job responsibilities. They say, if you want to get something done, you go talk to a busy person. And the reason that is because busy people are typically the ones that are willing to take on more responsibilities. Sure. And 
therefore they become the experts in whatever they're doing. And then, so yeah, it just totally makes sense. But if, if you've spent your entire life, had you specifically Cheryl Mack, <laughs> CSI genius, <laughs> had you spent your entire career avoiding responsibilities and not volunteering sure. for things you think of all the opportunities that you would have missed out on oh my gosh and that's that's almost the scary part mm -hmm. you know because if if you only looked at my resume based on what i got paid to do it is starkly different than my overall you know curriculum vita <laughs> because again you just you do things because it's the right thing if the right people come together to do the right thing at the right time for the right reason you will absolutely change the world. There's no question about it. But but I do want to be real clear. Um, and I get what you're saying and I appreciate it very much because I do work hard. I do. But if you think about college students and you think about asking those students to not go on spring break, but to go with you to a crime scene in the middle of nowhere where it's hot <laughs> and I want them to cut down trees and make a clearing to look for bullets from 1946. That's an amazing group of people that did that. And if you think about the judge and the prosecutor and the guy from DNR and the guy that's the weapons expert that I also called and said, hey, can you meet me and a group of students in the middle of nowhere, South Georgia, and they also come on their own time. And that's what I'm saying. There's a lot of people that said yes to me. Uh, that made all of this possible. And you're one of them. I cannot tell people how many times I've called you and said, hey, will you talk to this detective and explain things? Would you please come show somebody how this thing works? I mean, you did it in Durham. You did it in Jacksonville. You did it in Savannah. So, I mean, it changes everything we're able to do, you know, when you can get the right person with the other right person to get involved with the case. And, and that's, I think for me, I mean, I am Episcopalian, and if you do good, it comes back to you. I do, and it has ridiculously for me. But I think for everybody else, if you are a 20-year-old getting into law enforcement right now and you realize, oh, man, I'm never going to be able to work on the Golden State Killer. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. I'm never going to be able to work Delphi. I live in, you know, Oregon. Yes, you can. You absolutely can. If there's something that you see that you can do, you should do it. Look what three civilians just did on Zodiac. They freaking solved the code because they wanted to, because they devoted all of that time and effort. Well, there right. you go. And I, I absolutely appreciate you, uh, you sharing that because especially the younger folks that are coming into, into crime scene, into law enforcement in general, I think yep. a lot of them look up to folks like you that have been around for a little while and that kind of advice, I hope they take it. I hope they really understand how important it is. The things that you just said, it's amazing. Because again, most of the experiences that you get, most of the opportunities you, that you get don't come from what you get paid for. No, no. And if you wait by the phone for somebody to call you, to say, you know, hey, do you want to work on Natalie Holloway? That call's never coming. So you need to call somebody and say, hey, can I help you? This is what I can do for you. Right. You know, and just put it out there. And if they say, no, we're good right now. Okay, you still did the right thing. 
all friend to hell. No, there's there's a a law that is happening in the universe that basically says uh, when you put out your value that you create a vacuum and more value comes back to you. And, you know, I slaughter that when I say it, but it's basically true that every, every time that you that you serve, that you provide value to other people. Uh, it'll yep. come back to you tenfold. And no question. I, I am 100% uh, not only believing in that, but I, I live it because I am blessed beyond measure. And mm-hmm. the, the, re- the primary reason is because I, like you said, you know, when you, you make it sound like a big deal for me to talk to a detective about the MVAC, and I'm like, are you kidding? Cheryl Mack like calls me up and says, Hey man, will you talk to this guy? I'm like, yeah. Right. <laughs> I'd be a, I'd be a fool attitude. if I wouldn't. No, but I know. That's but that's the attitude, you yeah. know? And there's a lot of people, they would not be doing anything on Saturday morning, but fishing or watching the game or playing golf, whatever they wanted to do. Not you. There's a lot of people with a time difference. Sometimes I know I have called you at a horrible time of day. And, you know, you've got, you know, those three boys and you're busy and you're doing things you have never not one time picked up the phone or called me back very quickly. And that's what people don't understand. Cause I tell my own children, I will openly tell them the biggest difference in like their dad at work and Barack Obama is who Barack Obama can get on the phone. That's what makes him more powerful. That's it. If you have access to the best people that there is, there ain't nothing you can't do. And I am, again, so fortunate. I mean, the people in my phone are ridiculous and they will call back and they will show up and they will help for nothing. (laughs) Well, for not even a t-shirt. But most of that is, is reciprocal because you've already done it for us. So, Oh, uh, anytime, you know, there's, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a circle of trust that we have and a circle of loyalty and a circle of indebtedness that we have to each other. And that's why we pick up the phone. And, uh, but again, that's, that's why when you said, Hey, let's do this uh, Saturday morning after I had reached out to you and said, Hey, you just won an Emmy. We need to talk about that. <laughs> crazy woman. I mean, yeah, we got to no, get to crazy. that here pretty, pretty quick, but uh, that's well, just absolutely fantastic. And wh- why wouldn't I want to have, an international celebrity on my show whenever I can. That's right. (laughs) Well, I actually got in the box. So I thought I would show it to you. And uh, let me tell you what we're doing now. There's a little zoom of it. (laughs) Oh, that's fantastic. And I tell you, it's really heavy. I I was really shocked by how heavy the thing is, but. It's not one of those cheap plastic things that you get at the. uh... (laughs) Exactly. It's like the real deal. But, you know, I, in my acceptance speech, I said that I'm going to treat my Emmy like the Stanley Cup. And everybody that was involved in this thing gets a weekend. So you're getting a weekend. This was not something that was me at all. As you know, Karen Greer, I mean, she's the journalist. She's mm-hmm. the genius behind everything we did with CSI Atlanta. And in a business that is so incredibly competitive and cutthroat and just nuts, really. You know, she brought me in so willingly and so graciously and said, okay, how would you work these cold cases if you had access to a TV station? 
And I was like, I'll tell you right now how to do it. And so I gave her my opinion of what she should do. And she went, no, 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 this is me and you. And I'm like, you're going to put me on TV? Like, are you lost your mind? And she was like, no, no, we're going to do this thing together. And um, as you know, because you were directly involved with the Honey Malone case, uh, we took Honey Malone on pretty quick and got an arrest last April. So that was our first solved case on CSI Atlanta. Um, but again, Dwayne Thompson and De uh, Detective Christine Menina and Dr. Laura Petler. I mean, so many people came to Atlanta and, you know, did a portion of the show for us. And, you know, Holly Hughes and Claire Farley and Dr. Dwayne Thompson, like all these people. Well, they all get a weekend. And some of them have already had their weekend. Um, but she is coming to Utah. So the boys can enjoy and do their own little fake you know, accept the speeches and just have some fun. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, if that thing actually does make it to Utah, I, mm -hmm. I will have each one of the boys do an acceptance speech. And I'll that tell would you, be fabulous. Oh, my youngest, John, uh, he is, he's our dancer. He's the one mm -hmm. that does the ballroom dance. Oh, yes. I can just picture him right now. Oh, my gosh he would be hysterical. So, all right, we'll make that happen. That, that'll be funny. Definitely. So how did, how did this show, well, you just explained how the show came about, but mm -hmm. talk about, you know, the gist of CSI Atlanta. Now, okay. you, well, you said, you said looking at cold cases, but right. explain that a little better. Well, Karen invited me to a meeting at the TV station and she said, we want to start highlighting some of these cases. How do you think we should do it? And I was real clear that, you know, you can tell a story and that's great, but you've got to pull people in. And to me, if you've got all of these resources, why not use them? I said, for example, if, if a child goes missing, y'all are sitting here with a helicopter and five drones, put them in the air. Don't just go to the scene with a microphone and say, oh, a child is missing and the parents are distraught. Look at them, you know? You've got equipment that a lot of local police departments don't have. That's a fact. I don't have a helicopter at my department. I wish we did. What? We don't have one. No, we don't. We don't have a helicopter. But we have Georgia State Patrol that will put it up for us anytime. And so will Atlanta. But, you know, we don't have sometimes the equipment that they have. The other thing that Karen had that was built in that I told her, anybody in the Atlanta area knows Karen Greer. She is trusted people like her. She's genuine. So a lot of times she can get people to talk that the police can't. So she had this avenue that was already laid out beautifully. And I said, if you're really going to do it, let's try to solve them. Let's try to move them forward in a way that doesn't just, here's a recreate, isn't that a shame? And so she said, okay, let's do it. So we've done things, we've gotten things tested, obviously. Um, We've done age progression composites. We've done searching for witnesses. We've offered polygraphs. We've gone back to the scene and shown how something couldn't have been what they originally thought that it was. Um, it's just been a remarkable experience because again, I did what I would normally do in the real world, but I got to do it live on TV. So it was pretty cool. Telling you, Cheryl, that right there is why you have an Emmy because the Honestly, that is brilliant. I'm not kidding. Thank you. you. No, that that is. In fact, the last night 
I was I was editing another episode of of all things crime and just got it posted. And a big part of that discussion, my guest was a good friend of ours, a friend of mine that I've met on uh, this LinkedIn bootcamp that I've been taking, which is has been amazing because I've been able to create this uh, content and stuff, and, and not just about the MVAC, but about uh, business and about uh, crime scene and all sorts of really amazing things, and and posted it on LinkedIn for people to you know consume and learn about uh, me, learn about the the MVAC, learn about just the investigative process in general. And I'll, I'll take little clips from here. And, and I've done that with, with some of your stuff. So, okay. um, but she is a PTSD and uh, a healthcare expert. And it's amazing the similarities right now between the stresses between what the healthcare workers are experiencing, especially with COVID. Yes. And then what law enforcement is going through. Mm -hmm. And my thought is, with what you were just talking about, how brilliant would it be to get everybody to kind of duplicate what you're doing, not necessarily to create a show or anything about it, but team up with your with your local um, (coughs) news news folks. Yes. And actually make a team out of it and, and get them involved helping solve cold cases. It's like I agree 100 percent. You talk about. Yeah, you yes. talk about bringing in this team. Yes. Well, here you have this amazing resource. And unfortunately, a lot of times, the relationship between media and law enforcement is hostile. Correct. And why not get them on your side? Correct. Uh, okay, so we, we are going to start talking about the Cheryl yep. Mack model of how <laughs> to uh, actually get your media on the side of law enforcement and get them helping solve cases because how incredible of a resource Listen, those guys when, be. When I got my master's, my dissertation was on that, that law enforcement and media should absolutely fuse on cases, especially cold cases. And you've got to find that person. And for me, it was Karen Greer, but you've got to find that person that's in it for the right reason, not just mm-hmm. ratings or whatnot. But if you find that person that the community trusts, and again, is willing to work on their day offs and walk scenes and go through files and meet with law enforcement and bring the family in. You've got to have the family as part of it. Um, and everybody just comes together and has a mutual you know, respect and understanding of how to get this case you know, into the end zone. You know, and it's not difficult. It's not. It's yeah. just getting the right people at the table. I think but anybody being... that wants to call me, I will tell them how to do CSI Nashville. CSI Tampa, CSI Ontario. I think it's that important. I really do. Well, I think we're onto something here, Cheryl, because that is, I think it's a, well, you've proven that it's a successful model and that it can be used for all the right reasons. Right. And the most important thing, obviously, is solving cases and helping helping those victims get, not closure, because we, as we've discussed, there's no such thing. Amen. But, sure. They but, can get answers. Yeah. Getting, you know, getting some kind of, uh, yeah. Answers to questions yeah. is huge. And even if you don't solve it, you know, my biggest thing for Karen, when we first started talking is you can at least, you know, let the families know we have not forgotten and it's still important to us. So Karen and I, we've even taken cases where there's nothing, there's no evidence to test. There's no witnesses. There's nothing. 
but we're going to highlight it anyway because that family deserves that. Uh, that. Yeah. One of the, again, one of the things that I was talking to specifically to uh, Noelle about in, in the video that I just posted is that law enforcement in general, first of all, they're members of the community. They are husbands and fathers and moms and daughters and, and sisters, you know, yeah. they, they have the exact same relationships with <laughs> their families and their neighbors that everybody else does. Mm-hmm. But that is not portrayed enough. And I also thought, how amazing would it be if every law enforcement officer took just one picture per day of something good that they're doing, because they're doing good stuff all day long, take one picture and post it on social media somewhere per day. And if everybody did that, that would be something like 700,000 positive law enforcement pictures flooding the social media and the airwaves every single day. Every day. There's a chief out in California named, uh, I believe his last name is uh, Garavi. Mm-hmm. I, I know I'm slaughtering that, but I think he's with uh, Fremont PD. He's the chief. Oh, there. yes, 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 yes. He's on LinkedIn all the time. <clears throat> and you all see him with pictures of, you know, little kids that are going through cancer that he's bought a little police uniform for. You know, he's yep. taking uh, pictures with people that are walking along the street. And I think he is the epitome of the PR that every Agreed. single agency needs to do. And Agreed. if they did that, I, I think there would be a completely different uh, yes. different outlook about, and it doesn't even matter if it's in the big cities where it's really you know hostile toward law enforcement. I, sure. I, I just think the, the goodwill that that would flood the airways with would be so fantastic that, yeah. How would, how no, would, he's amazing. He's amazing. Yeah. And all of us went on that journey with him, with that little girl that was suffering. And when they lost her, the way they, you know, took to, you know, supporting her family and the funeral. Again, for me, there are so many officers that I work with and they will stop and help somebody change a tire or they'll buy somebody a meal or they will stop and talk to a kid that is struggling about something. They don't even think about it. They just move on. And I'm like, hey, that would have made a great social media post. And they're like, what? And I'm like, really? But to them, it's just like you said, they do it every day, all day. And and they don't want any spotlight for it. But I agree with you. I think if the general public had any idea, because most of the time you talk to a police officer when you get pulled over for speeding or running a stop sign. Right. It's usually a bad occurrence. It's usually not great. So you don't know what he did 30 minutes ago or an hour ago or two days ago. And I agree with you. It would make a difference if you had any idea. Well, and I think it's going to get actually the pendulum is going to swing the complete opposite direction because it's reaching the point that they're being so demonized that they're being Mm -hmm. defunded. Mm -hmm. And what's going to start happening is the police presence is going to get smaller and smaller and smaller. And then we're going to see the negative repercussions from that. So as opposed to being completely clueless to all the positive that is going on, it's going to swing in the other direction. So now all the negative stuff that's going to be happening is is going to be a direct reflection of them being absent. It's so hard to quantify and it's so hard to actually even comprehend, but it's, it's coming. And if we don't all come together and figure out a way to check that, uh, yeah. it's, it's just going to get worse. 
before I let you go, let's let's talk about this latest case of yours. Okay. Well, we've got the case of Melissa Wolfenberger. And Melissa was 22, young mother of two small children, and went missing in about November of 1998. She was reported missing in 1999 by her mother, not her husband. And her mama was adamant that she would not have missed her Christmas with her, and she certainly wouldn't have missed her birthday. So from December to February, her mama kept trying to get her local police department to listen to her. Her mom lives in Henry County. And Henry County said, well, what is her address? And it was an Atlanta address. And they said, ma'am, we're so sorry, but we don't have jurisdiction to do anything. They said, but we will call Atlanta and ask Atlanta if they'll just ride by, do a welfare check. Atlanta did. Um, she wasn't home. So nothing Atlanta could do. And Atlanta explained to the mama that she's an adult. And if she wants to get ghosts, she can. She ain't got to call you or come by. So there was nothing anybody could really do for a long period of time. But her mom just, you know, kept beating that drum, trying to get people to listen to her. Then in April, a UPS driver was driving down Avon Avenue in Atlanta, which is a two-lane road. One side of that road is nothing but railroad tracks and deep woods. And on the right side is just built, you know, business after business after business. And he's driving down that road. And in the middle of the road, he sees a human skull. And he sees a black trash bag that looks like it's ripped. So he calls the police. They, of course, respond. The skull has had Clorox poured on it. Uh, the hair is really, really short. And they do a facial reconstruction. And they believe that it's a man. So that's kind of where they are. And they don't know who this person is. They don't have any dental records to compare. You know, it's 1999, so DNA is not like it is now. They're not doing anything. Then Telefera County in Georgia calls and says, hey, we just found a body in a ditch with no head. So we got a body with no head. You got a head with no body. Let's see if it's a match. Well, then they spent months trying to see if that was a fit. It was not. Then in June of 1999, four more trash bags were found with arms and legs in them. They still didn't know who the person was, but there was no torso. The torso today has never been found. So fast forward to 2003. In 2003, a detective from another neighboring county, Fayette County, uh, Bruce Jordan said, hey, I think this is Melissa Wolfenberger. And if y'all would do the dental records, we would appreciate it. Well, sure enough, it turns out the skull was Melissa Wolfenberger. So she had been beheaded and dismembered blocks from her home. So where we are right now, even though the trash bags, they were processed for fingerprints only. What we are hoping is the way they were stacked maybe, or, or maybe kind of hidden from the elements that if we can undo those knots, maybe there's some touch DNA inside there. Because you know how people pull and then tie and pull and tie. Sure. So we're hoping maybe, even though we know that you know they were out there for months and months, that maybe between the trees they were under and stacked on top of each other, maybe one was protected enough to get a DNA profile. But that's where we are right now. Well, I'll tell you, if you need it, we have what we call a vented head, which mm -hmm. allows the airflow to go a little further 
past the evidence so it wouldn't suck down onto that trash bag as much. So if you think it's the right tool, then uh, I would certainly come out there and, and help you guys to, awesome. to use that. So yeah, you just let us know if there's anything we can do to help on that. So I will. And Sergeant Layton will be thrilled to hear that. I will text him today. So I appreciate that tremendously. Because I mean, I think oh, it's course. the only shot. I think it's the only shot we have. That right there is really why, along with skin sampling and and other fragile things, but anything that's really fragile that you think mm -hmm. uh, you'd want to use the MVAC on, but the, the regular sampling head would be too aggressive, that's where the vented head comes in. Wow. And okay. I, I'm not sure that GBI has any of those. And so if they don't, and especially I, I'm not sure that they were actually trained on that because the vented right. head came a little later. That was what uh, UC Davis was doing all their studying on with the, right. skin, with the skin sampling. And I'm, I'm trying to think of uh, on, on the fly here <laughs> when okay. they actually received their training. So if they haven't received that, then you just let me know. And Perfect. man, I'd, I'd be on a plane. I, I would Perfect. love to help with this. So, okay. Outstanding. Outstanding. Plus I got to, I got to come out there and visit with Cheryl Mack. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> well, that is exciting that you've at least been able to identify her. So yes. at least now they kind of know how she ended up, but uh, being able to catch the perpetrator is the next step. So yeah, find, her sister uh, and her mom, I mean, they have just been warriors, you know, looking for justice for her. And, you know, her daughter now is an adult and, you know, she deserves answers too, mm -hmm. you know, and even though they may be really difficult answers, she deserves to know what happened. Everybody that I've ever talked to, both directly and indirectly, to me, the, well, my, imp my impression from them is not knowing and waiting and just being in the dark is mm -hmm. far worse than the ultimate answer. Right. I've heard that same thing. You're the one that's actually talking directly with the families I, I, well, compared I mean, to what I do. It's, it's nothing, but. And you know, if you have a family like Melissa's sister believes she knows who killed her, but she needs that proof. She needs a way to, is this the right place for my anger or is it not? You know, cause she can't really move from that. And then the reality is there's somebody out there that is mean enough that they would behead and dismember somebody and throw them away in trash bags like they're nothing. And I think we should do something about that. <laughs> you know, pretty simple for me. That right there is, if you really think about it, somebody that's capable of doing that yeah. Oh is, yeah, is walking out on the streets. And yep. that's another thing that I don't think society really takes into into consideration as much as they should because having murderers walking around and whether it's committed just out of rage and yep. spur of the moment, it doesn't matter. It's still, if you're capable of doing that, I don't want you as a neighbor. <laughs> That's right. But it should put it in perspective for folks because who's working on your car, right? Who Who's running the scoreboard at your kid's game? Who is, you know, living next door to you, like you said? Who's at the movie theater next to you. I mean, it's crazy to think about how many cases go unsolved, how many people kill only once out of anger or jealousy or whatever reason they did it. There's a ton of people that only murder one time, but here they are somewhere. They're eating somewhere. They're going to the doctor somewhere. They're getting their hair cut somewhere. Same as you and I, and you just don't ever know. 
Well, we know there's at least what 230,000 of those out there. Yes. With all those uh, cold case homicides that are just sitting there. That's right. There's there's a, there's obviously victims affiliated with each one of those cases, but there's mm -hmm. also uh, suspects and perpetrators that actually committed those crimes that haven't been solved. So, and with all these cold cases that are getting solved now, how many times do you hear the neighbor after the person is arrested say, "Ah, oh, he was such a nice guy. He just kind of kept to himself. He would let me borrow his lawnmower." I mean, they have all these things that you know sound like just the average Joe. They had no idea he raped and murdered somebody 32 years ago. <laughs> I mean, it's. It's nuts, but it yeah, happens. Yeah, it is. It happens all well, the time. That right there is why all of society needs to be so grateful for Cheryl Mack and people <laughs> just like you. Now, I'm not kidding about that because no. you guys, the, the things that you do to help solve cases is absolutely phenomenal. And personally, I am 100% indebted to you just for being you because well, you're just like a lot of the law enforcement that's out there. You guys don't do it for the accolades. You don't do it for the pats on the back. You do it because it's the right thing and because that's your passion and that's uh, what you love to do. But I know what society would be like if we didn't have folks like you that are out there all the time. And so from what it matters, uh, thank you for, for doing what you do. I appreciate you coming on on a, on a Saturday morning. Any Absolutely. last words of advice for... The listeners and watchers? Yes. Again, anybody can solve a cold case. And if you have an idea or you know of a cold case in your area and you wonder, hey, have they ever tried such and such? Or does my local law enforcement even know about the MVAP? Call them and tell them. It's They're waiting by the phone. They would love that phone call. So if you're in a small town and you don't think your law enforcement may, may, you know, maybe has ever heard of the MVAP, for heaven's sakes, call and tell somebody. Just say, hey, can I talk to the head of CID? Who's the sergeant? Or give me a detective. And just say, hey, you may think I'm crazy, but I was listening to this podcast and they keep talking about the MVAT. Do y'all have one? Do you know what it is? And let them Google it. That I mean, word of mouth is everything in our business. Yeah, it's pretty amazing how communication between agencies mm -hmm. and even detectives and, and people in, their, in the same agency it's like one may know about the MVAC, but he just doesn't think about telling the, the detective next to him. That's like, right. You guys really yeah. need to work on your communication. Here. Well, you know, it's funny because, you know, police officers are not scientists. So they're not going to pick up those journals or go on those websites. They are, you know, feet to the ground. Let's go after somebody like, you know, a bloodhound. So when you give them this tool and they realize what it truly is for them, and all they've really got to do is go back through their cold cases and see, hey, what was not tested that we can do today? It's a game changer. And, and for us, we've got Nicole Smith, Bracola Coleman, Melissa Wolfenberger. I mean, we've got case after case after case that I know for a fact the MVAT's going to change. I know it. And because of what you did on Honey Malone and all the publicity we got, other jurisdictions are now going to go to the GBI to get things tested with the MVAT. So every single case in Georgia that is ever solved with the MVAT, I'm going to credit to Honey Malone. That's her legacy. That's what happened. I don't know why that child had to die, but I do know what her death is going to do. 
and it's going to solve a lot of cases. Wow. It's amazing, again, that more people haven't heard of it. I, I did a, a, a presentation for the Chief of Police Association up in Pennsylvania uh, earlier this week. And uh, as part of it, it, my first you know, virtual presentation, mm-hmm. we did it on, on um, something similar to Zoom. And in the chat, I said, hey, out of everybody that's here, what, on a scale of one to 10, how much do you know, do you feel you understand and know about the MVAC? And I couldn't believe how many ones came out. And I was like, oh, I'm just failing <laughs> yeah. for, for this many high level law enforcement people to not even know what the MVAC is. You know, I, I'm right. just, oh, you know, the word of mouth is the only way that we're going to get this done, which is a huge reason I'm doing so much stuff on LinkedIn is because of course. how else am of I course. ever going to connect with enough people as a small company? Mm-hmm. How are we ever going to be able to connect with enough people that the, that the word actually, it, it, momentum's everything. And so getting the word out is, is just incredibly difficult. But, but you know, again, I told somebody the other day, and I agree with you, it, it's not an impact commercial that I'm doing today at all, but it's an obvious segue because I am talking to you about our cases. And for me with a cold case, every time I look at one now, what can Jared Bradley do? What can Francine Bardol, you know, Bardol do? What is the latest and greatest technology? Well, you're it right now. And then somebody said, well, yeah. And then you've got CC Moore. Absolutely. No question. But CC can't have something to look at unless we can get the DNA. So everything goes hand in hand. So CC's helping us on a case too. Everybody is so gracious in saying yes, but everything feeds off each other. So CC's got to have that profile and, you know, the only way to get that is what y'all are doing. That's it. Well, for years and years, in fact, my dad, uh, before he passed in 2009, so this is like, what, 2007, something like that. Uh, He came up with the term and saying, if you can't collect it, you can't detect it. How true is that? I mean, you even go to the garbage sacks, you think about that. If you can't collect it off of those garbage sacks, if you can't That's actually right. get the DNA that might possibly be there, then yep. you will never have anything to give to the lab. You'll ne- never have anything to give to CC to, to decipher. So That's right. yeah, it, it all starts with the, the crime scene detectives, the way they collect. And I've said it multiple times in just looking at it from an objective point of view and, and kind of an outside observer, I look at the entire crime scene, the entire investigative process. Mm-hmm. It starts with a crime scene investigator. And absolutely anybody that says a CSI is only a tagger and a, and a bagger type, I'm like, <laughs> oh, you are missing right. out, man. You are, you are completely, They're completely missing, missing the point. And I'm going to tell you something. If your crime scene investigator only picks up and bags and tags what you tell them, they're not doing it right. There's a reason they call me an investigator. I'm there to investigate just like the detective is. Right. And we should work hand in hand. I'm not going to go type up the warrant. I'm going to go do something else. I'm sending something to get processed that I know I collected scientifically and legally. So again, our two world, you know, the world should be parallel where we're working right with each other. And I'm very fortunate with my CID. You know, my detectives are unbelievable. And we are a team. 
you know, there's some things I can pick up in a scene that maybe they missed and vice versa. And sometimes they laugh because I will collect things and they'll say, what is that? How's that connected? I don't know that it is yet, but it looked weird to me or it looked out of place to me and I'm going to collect it. If it turns out not to be anything, who cares? But what if it does? That's a critical thing right there. And another, you can never go wrong with another set of eyes. No, no, not at all. Especially one that's been trained, that has some experiences, even, even if they're brand new, and like you said, anybody can solve a case because you're looking yeah. at things from a completely different point of view. As long as they're not messing things up, you know, contaminating the crime scene, mm-hmm. as long as they're doing it all correctly that way, then you can never go wrong with working hand in hand with a detective and a crime scene investigator. Because yep. yeah, critical, critical steps. Critical steps. And it starts with the rookie that gets there first and puts the tape up. I mean, everybody's got to do the right thing in order for us to be able to get everything we need. You know, I don't want to collect a boot print that comes back to be the medical examiner. I mean, you don't want to do something (laughs) just, you know, so you need to make sure everything's been done right from the first person there to the last person to leave. And that's, that's just the the start of the start of the process. So uh, beginning that's, Right there, you just summed up why all things crimes even exist, because really vetting out that whole process and mm-hmm. hopefully getting uh, my audience enough information on how this whole process works by talking to experts like you is what this entire show is about. And it's just, it's so exciting to me. It doesn't matter who I'm talking to, they add at least one or two pieces of the puzzle and I think if people listen to the entire, you know, all the episodes of, of the show, they will have such a better understanding of the, the yeah. investigative process all the way. And my goal is all the way through to prosecution. You know, sure. I want to talk to medical examiners. I want to talk to prosecuting attorneys. I want to talk to defense Absolutely. attorneys, all yep. of them. You know, it's, it's such You're- an area <clears throat> of mystique, really. Mm-hmm. You know, they mm-hmm. watch the crime shows, Law and Order and CSI, and they yeah. get kind of the dramatic version of it. <laughs> yeah. But, but really understanding on a nitty gritty level from yes. people like you that are actually there. They're not actors. They're actually people that investigate real cases with real victims and real suspects. And yeah, to me, it's I, I tell love people it. all the time. The crime lab is only as good as I am. Boy, how true is that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, if they're like, oh man, the crime, you know, the crime lab was awesome. They got a whatever. Okay. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Somehow I got that to them correctly. But again, I think for what we talked about today, for the the rookies and the people that want to get into this business, um, the advice that came out of today, I think is, is really critical. Volunteer, work as a team and show up. I mean, that's the best thing. I mean, put your ego somewhere it don't need to be at a crime scene because to me it's not about who solves it it shouldn't be about who solves it it should be about that it gets solved so you know people ask me all the time well aren't you jealous of so-and-so or don't you think they're trying to rip off what the institute is doing are you crazy if everybody should have a way to work on a case and everybody does you know you can look at your next door neighbor and you can look at a wanted poster and you can look at some videos online and You can watch these cases and say, God, I think they should try whatever it is. And everybody that has a advocation and a vocation, you have an expertise we don't have. So if you call me and say that plant 
that's next to that victim is a such and such so-and-so and it would have caused this. That would be awesome. That'd be awesome to know that. Right. Call me, tell me. Well, I think you'll be surprised at the uh, response you get. There are no such things as Sherlock Holmes anymore. No. No. The, the, the one guy that, that uh, can pull out, you know, his uh, little magnifying glass and set of chemicals and solve the crime on the spot does not yeah. exist. So. And how lonely. I mean, to me, I would much rather be at a crime scene with eight or 10 people that I trust and adore and know what their gifts are and say, hey, what does this look like to you? Because I think I see something. And then if they validate, oh my gosh, that's whatever, then we're on to something. And, you know, and I tell my own children, the way I try to approach working cases is the same way you should approach having a party. I can throw a party all by myself, but I don't have DJ equipment. And I don't have three margarita machines and I don't have lights and I don't have the ability to cook like my sisters. So if I just incorporate my four sisters, that party has gone from a four to an 11, honey. <laughs> and then if I invite two or three of my friends that I know also have really cool things, this party's fixing to be epic, but I could not do it by myself, nor would I want to. It's not going to be as much fun. So that to me is what, the crime scene should be like, I adore Christine Menina. So if we're walking a scene together, I'm going to have fun at the same time I'm doing something important. And there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing. Oh, said like a true Southern woman. <laughs> I tell you, like we were talking about <laughs> earlier, you guys, the, the way things just flow off of your, and it, just the sayings. Oh, love you guys to death. My, my time in Tennessee, I miss it dearly because Sure. So many just amazing people <laughs> just like you. Oh, I love it. So well, I'll tell you, you're around some really good people too. Utah is an amazing place. Lots of it's, love and just what do you need? Lots of help. And I tell you, just the surroundings, just stunning, gorgeous. Yeah. You know, you send me pictures of the lake and stuff like that, and mm -hmm. they're absolutely gorgeous. But if I showed you the picture of the mountains that I can see out of my backyard, yeah, yeah the, you know, every place has beauty and it's just absolutely Amen. amazing. If you take the time to just stop and, mm -hmm. and look around you and mm -hmm. you can find just, you know, God's painting everywhere. And so no gotta enjoy it while you can. Yes. So, all right. Cheryl Mack, ladies and gentlemen, such right, a pleasure to talk to you. You and, too. Uh, I am so happy that you came on and, and gave us a, a few minutes of your time. Oh, love, love, love talking to you and, well, and learning I adore about you all, and all the great stuff you're doing out there. I'm a MVAT fan. I'm a huge fan of yours. I adore everything you're doing. And uh, let's go solve some cases. Yes, ma'am. Let's do it. <laughs> Okay. You have a great rest of your weekend. All right. You too. I'll talk to you soon, honey. Okay. Thank you for listening to All Things Crime. We are so grateful for all of our listeners. If you enjoyed this, please give us a positive review so other people can find it as well. Have an amazing All Things Crime day.